If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're headed back to John 6, where we were this morning, and I want to look again at, at that passage, just a few of those verses. Uh, we noted this morning this remarkable and profound statement from Peter, which we find in the interaction of Jesus with his chosen twelve. So follow along as I read from the English Standard Version, John 6. Go to 67, verse 67. John 6, verse 67, and I'll read through verse 69. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now that's a remarkable statement from Peter, and it's remarkable because it's not likely that Peter yet fully understood all that there was to understand about Jesus. You realize he didn't have a copy of the Scriptures in his hand. He didn't have a a completed New Testament that he could go to. Uh, he, He probably didn't fully comprehend all that there was to comprehend and understand about Jesus yet. And we know that's true of all the apostles because when you follow their story in the New Testament, you find out that they they thought it was a tragic mistake that Jesus would go to the cross. And um, they actually ran for their lives when Jesus was crucified. So they didn't fully comprehend what was going on, but they had enough information Later, Jesus would find them, and they would see him after he was resurrected, and and he would explain to them again why it was he had to die. And so at this point in John 6, the 12 whom Jesus had chosen had not fully understood everything that he had said to them, not fully comprehended all of his teaching. But Peter did know enough. He knew enough to understand that there was, I love his statement here, To whom shall we go? There's nowhere else to go. You have the words of life. Verses 68, 69. You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And, And that was right after this profound statement, Lord, to whom shall we go? And I challenged you this morning, and I and I want to encourage you again tonight, that that ought to be your desire. That ought to be your cry out to God. Lord, to who, to whom shall we go? There's nowhere else to go but to you. And uh, it's almost like we need that daily reminder so that we'll pick up the word again and, and go to God in prayer again and get together with God's people. Go to church and hear the preaching of the word again. We need those constant reminders that there's nowhere else to go for the truth. I quoted a minister and Bible commentator John Gill this morning. Uh, he ministered over 250 years ago, and there is a statement that he made in, in one of his commentaries, and I shared it this morning, uh, but he, he opened it with this statement, there is no other Savior but Christ to look to. And then he went on and made several, um, seven in fact, seven, several, uh, seven scriptural statements that that point to the scriptures, point to the wisdom of God's word, that, that flesh out this truth, that there's nowhere else to go than to, to Christ. And so I kind of want to stand on the shoulders of John Gill tonight, just use his seven statements, but I want to take you to the scriptures with his seven statements that point to the truth of the scriptures 
to just think about this some more. Here's why this statement of Peter's is so profound. Lord, to whom shall we go? And I pray that we'll say that same thing with Peter. Uh, Lord, to whom shall we go? And remind ourselves, there's nowhere else to go. The best place to go is to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're the Holy One of God. We ought to say that with Peter. So first of all, think about this statement. Again, these are uh, John Gill's statements. I read the, the quote to you this morning in the sermon this morning, but I want to break it down and take you to the Scriptures to show you why this is true, that there's nowhere else to go and nowhere that, nowhere that we ought to want to go other than to Christ. Uh, the fir- first, the Bible makes clear that there's no other mediator between God and man. There's no other mediator between God and man to make use of, says John Gill, to make use of. Now, what's a mediator? If you look up mediator in the dictionary, it's a person who attempts to make people involved in a conflict come to an agreement, a go-between. Well, are we involved in a conflict with God? Well, before we came to Christ in faith, we were enemies. I'd call that a conflict. Uh, Paul pointed to this. Uh, Why do we need a mediator? Think about this. Why do we need a mediator between God and man? Well, we need a mediator because of our sin, because our sin separates us from a holy and righteous God. Paul pointed to this when he wrote of Jesus to Timothy. Listen to 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So we learn there, Jesus is the mediator sent by God to be the mediator between God and man. He's also our ransom. He ransoms us from sin and death, sin in the grave and hell. Of Jesus Christ, the mediator, one commentator says, he makes reconciliation between God and man by his all-perfect atoning sacrifice. We ought to praise God for that. We celebrated that this morning at the Lord's Supper. We we remember his, his atoning sacrifice for sinners at the cross. And so there is no other mediator between God and man to make use of. Secondly, God's word also makes clear that there is, as John Gill says, no other physician of value. You get that? No other physician of value for diseased and sin-sick souls to apply unto. Where can a sinner in need of saving turn? Nowhere other than to Jesus. Um, Isaiah 53 and verse 5 is a passage which speaks prophetically of Jesus Christ when it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Speaking prophetically of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what... 1 Peter 2.4 says of Jesus Christ that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. And that's 
an incredible blessing, isn't it? That's an incredible gift from God that the Lord Jesus Christ, by his wounds, we would have healing, spiritual healing, spiritual life. So there is no other one to turn to but Jesus Christ for soul healing. There's none other. The Bible also makes clear there is no other fountain but his blood for polluted souls to wash in and be cleansed. No other fountain but his blood for polluted souls to wash in and be cleansed. Here's what Charles Wesley put in his well-known hymn, the, the one we sing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. One line in there, His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. And we sing that. When you sing that, you ought to praise God for that shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. And Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. And then Hebrews 9 and verses 13 and 14 says this, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You might, you might think of it this way. What can wash away my sins? <laughs> Nothing but the blood of Jesus. God's word is very clear on that. And we ought to praise God for that. God's word also makes clear that there is no other city of refuge or stronghold for souls sensible of danger to flee unto and be safe. There's no other place to go to be safe from our sins. Jeremiah 16.19 says, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble. To you shall the nations come. You and I, we read that verse, and I tend to gravitate toward my daily troubles when I think of my refuge in trouble. But you realize you have an ultimate trouble? <laughs> it's your sin. And if you didn't have a refuge to run to in Jesus Christ, you would be doomed in your sin. You would be trapped in your sinful state. And yet, uh, we just gravitate back to our daily troubles and think, Oh Lord, how great it is that you're my refuge in trouble. Remember every day <laughs> that the ultimate trouble you are spared from is the one that your sin draws you into and traps you in without Christ, without his sacrifice, without the Father drawing you to himself. Nahum 1.7 reminds us of the same truth. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. We ought to praise God for that. 
Psalm 27 in verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The answer should be no one and nothing. And yet, sometimes we're afraid of things, right? And we just need to come back to this truth. That there's no other city of refuge or stronghold for souls sensible of danger to flee unto and be safe. As John Gill says, we must turn to Jesus. We must turn to Christ. And we must turn to him daily. We need these daily reminders to turn back to faith and, and refresh and encourage our faith in him because there is no other refuge for, for the sinner's soul. There's no other place for us to find refuge. God's word also makes clear that there is no other, uh, no other to come to as the bread of life where hungry souls may be fed. And oh, how our souls hunger. Um, It shows up in our pursuit of the things of this world and the things of this life. And what we ought to realize if you're a follower of Jesus Christ is that the longing of your soul for for the sweet taste of things ought to remind you that there's something deeper in your soul that's, that, that should remind you you need Christ and you need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other one to come to as the bread of life where hungry souls can be fed. And this truth has been made clear in our study in John 6. Let me just take you few, through a few of the verses here in John 6. John 6 verse 33 says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 6 and verse 48, I am the bread of life. John 6 and verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So we must turn to Jesus Christ because he's the only bread that can truly satisfy our sinful souls. We need the satisfaction that can only be found through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and found through walking with him daily. God's word also makes clear that there is no other place of rest. There's no other place of rest for those that are weary and heavy laden. This, this life can weary us, right? Can wear us out and weigh us down. And yet, and yet, if we turn to Christ and we're faithful to turn to his word faithfully and, and pour it into our lives to be strengthened with it, encouraged by it, God is good through the Lord Jesus Christ to strengthen us for the things that weary us, to give us joy even in the midst of things that, that trouble us. Because our Our ultimate joy is resting in Christ and in his finished work on the cross and in his grace and mercy, which he pours into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So we have all these burdens that we need the Lord's help with. And the biggest burden of all, of course, is that burden of our sin. And so turning to Jesus in faith is the only answer to finding eternal help. And we can praise God for that, that we can turn to him, that we have him as our eternal rest and yet our daily rest. Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. And then gives this admonition, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We've been freed from sin so that we can rest in Christ and be freed from the entrapments of sin and the, the overwhelming burden of sin because Jesus took the punishment for us on the cross. We can rest in Him. There is freedom from the burden of sin and freedom from the yoke of slavery to sin only in the rest that Jesus Christ gives those who put their faith and trust in Him. Only in sinners who repent of sin and rest in Him alone. God's Word also makes clear that, as John Gill says, nor is there any other where there is plenty of all grace and security from every enemy as in Him. And therefore, to whom can they have recourse but unto Jesus Christ? That's what uh, 2 Corinthians 12.9 makes clear, that the grace of Jesus Christ is all-sufficient. Listen to these words. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Well, that ought to be the desire of our hearts. Not that people would see us as great people, but would see through us that we have a great Savior, that we have a great God who is all-sufficient and all-powerful. And even when we are weak, He is strong and promises to work in us and through us when we rest in Him. Because there's plenty of all grace, there's plenty of all security from every enemy. Uh, when Charles Spurgeon preached on this passage, he told his congregation this. Listen to these words from Spurgeon. I hope that you feel that you cannot turn back from Christ because he has saved you by his grace. That you cannot turn back because he saved you by his grace. What he has done for us must bind us forever to him. Would you recognize that? That you're bound forever to Christ. He has loved us with an everlasting love. He has given himself for us on Calvary's cross. He has given us his spirit and word. A new heart and a right spirit has he put within us. We cannot and we will not desert him after all of this. It's like that ought, to, that ought to baffle us that people walk away from the Lord and, and we ought to pray that God would never allow us to get to that point where we walk away. How could we desert the Lord Jesus Christ, he argues. It's a great argument. He goes on, Besides, he is our hope for all eternity, for an eternity of bliss that we expect to share with him. All our hopes of life beyond the grave center in him. Apart from him, there would be nothing for us but the blackness of darkness forever. So it is impossible for us to turn away from him. No, we must cling to him whatever happens, for there is nothing or no one that can ever take his place. We ought to take that to heart. Those are good words from Charles Spurgeon, which he preached to his congregation from this passage. And I pray that this passage today, as we've 
come to the conclusion of chapter 6 will will ring in your ears this week, will ring in your hearts this week, and, and you'll ask that question of yourself that I asked of you, will you uh, remain devoted to Christ no matter what? Come what may, whatever challenges you face, no matter who you know who walks away from the Lord, will you say with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I'll take that with you tonight. And may that be an encouragement to you. And may that be a challenge to you. To keep your account short with the Lord when you sin, when you find yourself drifting away from the truth, make a quick correction. Go back to God's Word. Go back to Him in prayer. Remind yourself that you need His help and ask for it. And God will help you return to Christ, cling to Christ, and never let Him go.